Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I have the privilege of being in conversation with a curator and the co-founder of PXP Contemporary, the director of business operations for Create Magazine, an arts writer, and the regular guest host of the Create Podcast and the co-author of The Complete Smartest Guide. Please welcome Alicia Puig. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. Yes, 100%. I mean, I feel like the the caliber of guest is just going up. I mean, it's just like, well, who am I? Little old me over here. And I'm speaking with you. So shout out to you. And thank you for joining this pod. Oh, that's so nice to hear. <laughs> so before we get too deep into, into this uh, kind of conversation, I, I want to really open it up and um, have you like share your story, like really like kind of keying in on like in chapter one, this, this is where it started. In chapter 15, I had my first opening. Tell me about the story for you. Sure. I guess going back to the very beginning, I grew up kind of everywhere. My family moved a lot. I was born in Michigan, but then we moved to Delaware, we moved to Texas, we moved to Pennsylvania. So it was hopping around, but ultimately that was a good thing. It taught me to be adaptable quite early on in life. Um, but I mostly grew up in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, mushroom capital of the world, very small, small town, small town America, about an hour outside of Philadelphia. And in high school, I had an amazing art teacher, Mr. H, shout out to him, who really, he, he took me under his wing. I was a very shy, introverted freshman, and I knew that I wanted to take art as my elective uh, freshman year, ninth grade, and I ended up in his class, and even though, again, I was shy, very quiet, most of my teachers never really thought twice about me, he saw something in me and I ended up taking his course all four years of high school. So by the end, we were quite close and he was able to help me put together a portfolio to apply to universities for fine art. Um, at the time, I thought I was going to go into graphic design and actually did get accepted for graphic design. I went to Penn State um, my first year and a half of school for graphic design, um, of course, kind of thinking as many people do that that was the way to have a creative job that still paid bills. Sure. <laughs> However, <laughs> I quickly learned that that was not my cup of tea. I absolutely respect the profession 1000%. I love what they do and I use what they do, um, but it was just not for me. So I transferred to a smaller state school in the middle of Amish country called Kutztown <laughs> University. There were quite literally horses and buggies that went by the same main street of school. And um, even though it was a smaller school, it was great in that it was a lot more arts focused, a lot more education focused. And that's where you could kind of be a big fish in a small sea. So sure. uh, I ended up working at the student gallery there and got my first taste of what it was like to, to run a space, to work with my peers and help them mount what was often their first solo exhibitions. And I loved it. I mean, I loved that more so than even making my own work in their studio courses. So that kind of was the first inkling that I probably wanted to, to do this professionally after school. And there came a turning point about my junior, senior year. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. So I started looking into fine art programs and also art history programs, because at the time I was, of course, still interested in making my own work. 
but also starting to get excited about working in galleries and putting these shows together. So um, I went up to New York for a weekend, <clears throat> excuse me, and I looked at um, graduate programs in both of those fields. And it just so happened that um, the art that I saw at these fine art graduate programs was just nothing at all like what I was making. And so to me, that was kind of the sign of this is not my path anymore. And I took a, a break from making artwork after that and just decided to go towards the path of art history. I ended up in Philly, which was a perfect fit for me. And I got my graduate degree in art history at Temple. And that's kind of where my my whole journey began. That's that's great. Thank you for um, walking us through that. And I think that there is this, this, this sort of like um, experience or this sort of like inclining that, you know, you, you know that you want to be in the, the freaking the, the, the arts world. Right. But where do you fit? And, you know, when I was interested, I, I don't know where this really fits as far as like maybe documenting or what have you, I kind of struggle with it, but I know that it's something of interest for me as something that makes me kind of light up. And it's what's something that activates this very shy, I, I guess I'm an extrovert, but I'm a shy extrovert or what have you. And, um, but at one point when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be an animator. I thought I wanted to do comics and I was always drawing and all of this. And I got this hit that, nah, this isn't for you. And it wasn't anything. It was more so being told this isn't for me. And, you know, I've mentioned this in this podcast before, having that opportunity to kind of come back to it, that particular discipline, but in a different way. And I think that's what doing this podcast helped me realize. And I think a little bit from what you were describing, it kind of you know, showed you like, maybe this isn't the way that you should be approaching a career in art. This is maybe a different way that you're even thinking of it. And it looks like it's really worked out for you. Yeah, it has. And I think I like that, that you're approaching it from this other way. It's like, I could still be creative. I think that's what I wanted to make sure is that I still had a creative job. And so I thought, that at first it was going to be through graphic design and then second through fine art. But I, I still very much feel creative as a gallery owner and as a writer, you know, those are now the ways that I express myself. So I was still able to find that. It was just different from what I expected at the very beginning. So so tell us about um, PXP Contemporary and Create Magazine. I want to learn a bit more about that. I mean, I'm out here reading the publications, but I want to hear it directly from you and, you know, enlighten us a little bit for those who are uninitiated. Of course, I'm happy to speak more about both of them. So Create Magazine is an independently published international print and digital magazine. It showcases the work of emerging artists, as well as curators, gallerists, and other industry leaders from around the world. It was founded by my good friend and business partner, who I actually met at um, university at Kutztown. She was at the time directing the off-campus gallery, and I was directing the on-campus gallery, so we were very much kind of um, running in the same circles and doing similar things. We really connected. And we stayed in touch after school. And eventually, about six, seven, eight years later, she decided that she wanted to start this platform. Um, she is still a fine artist and she paints and she, her work is actually doing quite well. Um, her career as a fine artist has been growing. And 
But at the time, she felt like she was struggling to get her first foot in the door as a young emerging painter trying to work with galleries and trying to get her name out there. And she just felt like she was hitting a wall and not able to present her work anywhere. So she decided, okay, if no one's going to give me that opportunity, I'm just going to make this space myself. So she started the first iteration of the magazine, which was Fresh Paint Magazine. And then eventually we rebranded to create so that it wouldn't just be for painters, it would be for all media. So that was that, I think, back in 2016 or so. And now we are years into this, almost nine years of her publishing the magazine. And I've been a part of it for a uh, number of years now too, at least over five years. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, the magazine has grown quite a bit. We're on our 32nd issue now. And it's been such a wonderful, wonderful journey. I mean, we've now grown our um, online audience to over 200,000 artists and curators and gallerists and people in the industry worldwide, which is amazing. Yes. Um, Yes, thank you, thank you. And so in each issue, we have interviews, we have a career advice column, and we also have a juried section that's selected by a different curator each time to make sure that each issue is unique and diverse. But as I kind of alluded to before, we're more than a publication, we're a platform. Um, we have our Instagram where we share artists who are inspiring us, motivating us, who we just love every day. We also have a podcast and where we do conversations like this with artists we love. And we also together, her and I wrote a book for emerging artists, sharing our journey, everything that we learned in the first 10 years so that people didn't have to make the same mistakes that we did and they could skip ahead, jumpstart and just get to the good part right. <laughs> without having to figure things out as much as we did when we left school and were trying to find our way. So that is kind of a little um, teaser on create. And then PXP came about because we were serving this community of artists and kind of filling that need and gap for exposure. However, we eventually tapped into that market and, and asked, what else do you need from us? And the biggest thing that they asked for was, okay, we also want a place where we can sell, which of course makes sense for young artists, again, trying to get their name out there, build their brand. And so I kind of took the helm on that since I, at that point, had 10 years in the industry working in galleries, museums, auction house, collectors, et cetera. And we started PXP, which stands for our last names, Puig and Popova, so we're P and P, and contemporary, of course, because we deal specifically with emerging contemporary artists. So it's a sister brand, a counterpart to the magazine. It's meant to be that stepping stone for young artists to get that first taste of showing with a gallery and what's that, what that is like so that they can then get that experience and move on to bigger opportunities, bigger galleries, you know, the next step, the next level. Um, and so that's something that we started in 2019. It's now been three years, which I cannot believe <laughs> we survived the pandemic, the craziness. Um, but we, and we were fully online from the beginning, which was great. It meant that I could always work with artists based worldwide. I work with clients based worldwide and I didn't have to worry about having a space, those costs, like all of the profits can go back into continuing to build the platform and make sure that I'm serving as many artists as possible. And we just did our first show in New York this past week, actually, which was a huge stepping stone. 
And the biggest accomplishment for me that weekend was that we won the honorable mention for curatorial excellence. So that was just such a, a wonderful thing to one, you know, for me personally as a curator, as a young curator to have that validation, but two, for my artists, you know, the people yeah. that I've been working with for years to have them be recognized as well. So that is the the story in like five minutes or less of Create and PXP. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, I like the, the entire time I, I wanted to interject, like, ah, ah, but you know, Sorry. I'm just, no, 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 but I'm just too busy smiling because I like the way that you're describing what the work is and, you know, being in this spot where you're able to help emerging artists, to help young artists kind of figure it out. Um, because, you know, I think one of the things that I've been pitching and leveraging in terms of what I do, I try to work with brands and, and, and things of that nature with helping them have their storytelling voice, putting out their podcast. And I just tell them, it's like, let someone like me do this to help you. I've made all the mistakes. Uh, I, put, I put together a guide on podcast. And it's like, I screwed up every possible way. And I've been doing this for 13 years. So it's just like, oh, yeah, you don't want to do it that way. You want to do it this way. This is the path of least resistance. And so hearing that that's where a lot of your focus has been at in, in helping artists and kind of blowing it out of what that idea is and what, you know, not specifically as far as create, not specifically being for painters, but being for all disciplines. That's really important, um, especially like, you know, talking to people, I've talked to artists on here about looking for grants and things of that nature and looking for like support in that nature. And it's very siloed. And the experience isn't particularly great. It's just like this cycle of rejection and not really knowing how to go about things, let alone having your stuff seen, let alone doing your work. So thank you for the work that you're doing. <laughs> of course, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's It's been a path, but again, it, it's so important that people learn this because we want more people to continue to make careers in the arts. It, you know, it's just sad that when we were in school, people, our professors would even tell us like, look to your left, look to your right. And like, one of you is not gonna be in the art world in the next, within the next five years. And it, it, you don't want that to happen. Like there's so many talented people and we're just losing them because there's not enough support. There's not enough education. And just with these simple things, more people can, can figure it out. That's all we want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm hearing it, you know, to, like I said before, you know, not really knowing where this lane is at and being kind of like an outsider artist, which might be a question that I have later. But um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you need to relocate because there is a better opportunity for you to kind of grow what you're doing out because, you know, it's like from my vantage point and having these conversations, as I you know, said early on, it's over 400 interviews and you know, it's like an ideator. It's like, I have all of these different ideas based on talking to more talented people like yourself. And I'm like, how can I steal from you? <laughs> so I want to ask about, uh, let's talk about art and business a little bit, art plus business. How would one build their brand um, while, when they're working within the creative industry? We're often, we're just going at it. We don't have time to really do the st strategic part of it. We're just working. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to give you the brief version because this is exactly the kind of things that we cover in our book, which is called The Complete Smartest Guide, but I'm happy to, to share a little bit of the secret sauce. I'm going to hold myself to like four things because I could probably talk on this topic for a long time. 
So the first one we're going to go over is to create a narrative. You know, you have to remember that people are looking for what makes you unique. So you need to know that what that is. You know, this comes in handy when you're pitching people, when you're pitching media, when you meet someone new, and it could really be anyone. I think that's another thing too. We forget that, you know, if you're just sitting on the subway and you chat up the person next to you, they could become your next collector. You never know. So remember that any person you meet could be a new, the door to a new opportunity. But again, it goes back to, you have to be able to tell your story and, and, have an engaging way of sharing what makes you, you. The second part of this that ties in is also being authentic. And we're seeing this a lot on social media in the past few years. You know, people were tired of seeing just the filtered images, the glossy images, the good, the wins, you know, be real, share, share the bad. I mean, it doesn't have to be horrible, but just like be real, be transparent. Um, Sometimes people really relate to the things that don't go well, the mistakes, the failures. I'm, I'm not afraid to share when that happens. And it's been cool because then your community, you know, they kind of, they come out and they support and they say, also, you might find people, I'm dealing with this too. Sometimes it's just nice to have people commiserate. And another aspect of that is just like being nice, being a friendly follower. I know that sounds like still quite silly and simple advice, but you know, don't waste your time arguing with trolls. You're not going to please everyone. So, you know, you're going, if you're putting yourself out there in that authentic, transparent way, you're also going to get people that come back to you trying to cause drama. Just forget it. <laughs> I think one of the best things that my business partner told me is nobody who's doing more than you will criticize you. Only those who are doing less. So that changed everything for me. I love <laughs> thinking about that, remembering that, and just not worrying about those people. Um, the third thing, be consistent. <laughs> and I mean, this really just goes with any part of your creative business. You know, it, it does get to a point where you're going to feel like you're shouting into the void or where you get that 99th rejection letter, but then you get that hundredth that's a yes, and it totally makes up for it. So just hang in there. I know it's hard. It is so hard some days. I've been there, but keep posting, keep showing up, keep knocking on doors, keep hitting the pavement. you got to do it in this industry, really in any industry. There's no easy path <laughs> these days. Um, so keep at it. And then the fourth one, probably one of my favorite and most important, your network is everything. So as much as you're doing all the other things that I said, continue to meet people, even if you are shy, even if you are an introvert, I 100% am, and I've still managed to grow my career and build my network. And that's, and you don't even have to necessarily do this all the time through in-person networking. It is helpful eventually. You know, you can start relationships online, but you do want to eventually have that face-to-face -face time. It does make a big difference. But this is something that comes up too. And I get asked a lot because people are like, what if I don't live in New York? What if I don't live in LA? Okay. I live in Costa Rica now. There's not a big art scene here. And I'm still managed to grow my career actually almost exponentially in the past few years that I've lived here. And that's because one, I did a bit of legwork when I lived in bigger cities like Philadelphia, Amsterdam, et cetera, Chicago. Um, but it's also because I continue to put myself out there um, <clears throat> through pitching, through cold emails, through reaching out, just through 
again, trying to meet people any way I can. And then the part B to that is following up because, you know, you send that one email and you might think, oh, they're not interested or, oh, they're just too busy. And sometimes, you know, emails just get lost or they are busy, and they, but they were interested. They just, yeah. something came up. So send that second email. Two is probably okay. Maybe three, if you really, really want to um, have this opportunity or meet this person or speak to someone. But beyond that, <laughs> probably could let it be for a little bit. You can yeah. reach out in like six months or so, but make sure that you are following up. And that also works for sales too. I've definitely had so many sales come through that happen just because I followed up with that client one last time to say, <laughs> hey, wait, you're interested in this. I don't know if it just got buried in your inbox or you're thinking about something else. And then they're like, oh yeah, of course I did want this. And then it happened. So send those follow-ups build your network. Those are my things. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is, um, that's great. And that's, that, that absolutely, it, it works. I'm one of the masters of the scheduled email of, Oh, me back in six months. It's like, all right, I will absolutely six months to the day. And, um, and having like some type of pitch and, and even when I'm doing like this, there are considerations made to made on who do I want to talk to? You know, like there'll be people that come with weird pitches. Hey, can you help us tell this story? And I was like, sure. But I recognize that for certain people that may come on, may be interested in come on coming on, they're interested in buying, I guess, some of that uh, real estate, some of that goodwill that I have from the authenticity, from the, oh, this is a real guy having real conversations with people. And by proxy, oh, you know, our brand, it might be a little bit on the eh, we can kind of take some of that and move it up. So definitely, I, I just try to maintain what I'm doing. And you know, it's, it's worked and it's been successful. So many of the things that you've said there are definitely gems and jewels for people to add to their, uh, their toolkit. How do you make work feel like play? You don't have this question. How do you make work feel like play? <laughs> Ooh, a surprise one. Okay. Um, how do I make work feel like play? I, I think I try not to put too much stress on it. You know, I can take, but the good thing is that now I work for myself and also freelance for a few other blogs, magazines, etc. So like, okay, I'll give you an example. So today, uh, usually on Wednesdays or Thursdays, we'll go over to my in-laws house. And the first hour of my day, I actually just spend playing fetch with my dog. So the, from nine to 10 on every Wednesday, it's dedicated time to just be with her, be outside and not think about work at all. So I think just scheduling time where you're not worried about work is really important. I guess you're just like, you're finding that balance so that when you do, or when you are working, it's focused work and you're not thinking about, like all these other things I have to do. Like it's kind of segmenting time. So I guess that's one way. Um, I work with people that I, I like, <laughs> you know, it's not just art I like. And that's probably one of the, the best things about the gallery is that, again, I, I'm, I'm the curator, so I get to choose the work. However, it's also important to me that I'm supporting good people. So, you know, they've, they're not just artists that, that I have a business relationship with, but that I've also become friends. So that, yeah. that makes it fun. Um, also, as I mentioned, my business partner, I've known her for over 10 years since, since school. So, um, 
we chat almost every day via Instagram. We are, our DM chat on Instagram is ridiculous. We do not recommend this professionally for other entrepreneurs, but it has worked for us for many years. So that's what we do. Um, but that, I mean, that absolutely makes work more fun when it's the two of us just bouncing ideas off of each other, yeah. learning from each other, growing with each other. So, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know, it's not easy, of course, having a, a work relationship with basically one of your best friends, yeah. but we, we went into it very slowly, very carefully. We were friends first for 10 years and it wasn't until we knew that we were going to be friends for a long time. There's okay. We can now merge our friendship into also a business partnership. And I think the other thing that works is that we're, we're different. Our strengths are different. So she's very much the idea person. She comes up with the big ideas and I'm the, the workhorse. I, I love to execute things. You know, I love to make things happen. So we really balance each other in that way. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I think those those things are are probably my best answers as to how I keep things fun. Uh, shout out to you. That's uh, that's great. I I've been in that spot before where um, you know working with a friend and kind of had a similar setup, and then as this sort of kind of took off and became a bigger bigger thing, and you know I'm still kind of solid and doing what I do, but it just wasn't you know the bandwidth wasn't wasn't there and so on and. You know, it's just one of those things that it's it just didn't work. You find it out a little bit later or what have you. But I think being a person like I know that I'm an idea person. I recognized that like early on and, you know, knowing that the small steps, not that I can't do them or those more granular things like I'm interested in them. But that's not where I naturally go towards. I'm like, hey, you know, let's let's build this rocket. It's like, you know, we need fuel. What? We need fuel. Nah, I don't need fuel. We just got a rocket to build. It's fine. So, yeah, I think in recognizing that that's some of the relationships I work with when I get into, you know, I've talked to people who do, you know, curation. And so they say, you know, there is a curatorial thing that you're doing here with these guests, or even if I'm like doing programming and things of that nature, I'm like trying to do every step because I'm like, know that this um, event is going to be successful. This programming is going to be successful, but I may omit a detail because it doesn't come naturally to me. Just getting the, 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 the end result is what matters to me most. So bringing in people that can kind of see those intermediate steps, it's like, you know, you should probably do it this way. That's very helpful for me. Having that workhorse, I need a workhorse. <laughs> yeah. I think what you, what you're tapping into here is also like setting boundaries and realizing your strengths and I'm not necessarily able to do that all the time with the gallery because I still mostly run it myself. But generally speaking, I mean, it's it's, def it's a good idea to just know what those are for you and realize that eventually, you know, if you don't like doing X, that's something you can hire out to then make your your days just more focused on what you actually do like to do, your zone of focus, your zone of genius, rather than having to do something that feels like grudge work. Yeah. And, and I and I think that that's one of those moments where when that sort of artistic mindset and that's described in a very weird way at times, you know, you hear the whole thing about starving artists and artists are never on time and they don't have any strategy and structure with the more business oriented mindset where it's presented as uncreative and very rigid. 
do you think that that's important that folks of either of those disciplines kind of like have those sort of relationships and those sort of interactions and in, in, in maybe in different terms, do you feel that it's important for maybe an artist to take a class on finance or maybe, uh, you know, someone that's more business oriented to kind of like, yeah, you might want to have like a, you know, like a meditation class or something like that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm mostly coming at this from the angle of artists having business acumen, which I think is essential. Basically, I would advise people to learn as much as you can. I mean, there, as we were just talking about, there's obviously the option to hire out and outsource things like taxes and accounting, et cetera. But what you can learn you'll obviously save money on. And two, it's just no one's going to care about your business as much as you do. Sure. You can find amazing employees who you know, will work really hard for you, but ultimately your art or your creative business is, is your thing. And so the more that you, know, you can make sure that everything is running as it should be, the better. And I mean, until you get to the level where you can really like outsource to all of the right people, um, but as you're growing, as you're evolving, it's just a definitely, definitely a great idea to learn as much as you can. And the other thing about right now is that there's just so much information that's easily accessible for you and that doesn't have to cost a lot. Yes, you can hire coaches. You can take those $1,000 business classes, et cetera. You can go, to, go, about, go back to school or go to school for a business degree or a certificate. However, there are also books and you can go to the library to get them for free. There are podcasts like this where you can hear directly from the source <laughs> from entrepreneurs. Yeah. And you can also go back to what I mentioned and network and do informational interviews. So you can reach out to people that you admire, ask them, hey, can I have 15 minutes of your time for a quick call just to pick your brain about what you've done? Or if you're uh, a little more savvy and uh, want to put yourself out there, maybe 15 minutes, quick coffee, 20 minute coffee meeting, do that. Um, and you'll learn so much as well as start to grow your network. So double in. And it does that face-to-face -face thing that you talked about as well. Absolutely. So with that, uh, I got one more real question and then I got some rapid fire questions that I've been adding as you've been talking because I've okay. picked up on things. Um, okay. from, from your vantage point, you know, we're on the, the back nine, I think, of, of the pandemic or what have you. Um, how, what are your thoughts on the ways that it's changed how we consume or appreciate art and how we're creating art? Good question. And I've talked about this a little bit on a podcast episode I did recently, but uh, expanding a little bit on that, um, <clears throat> It absolutely has changed the way that we consume and create art. There's no doubt about that. Obviously, there's a stronger online market than there was before, which is good because the art industry is such a slow industry. It takes a long time for the whole industry to adapt to new technology. So it's it's kind of good in the sense that it really pushed the arts to be much more online, which is great in one sense because it allows for greater democracy in terms of artists being able to reach wider audiences on their own. They don't necessarily need those gatekeepers, those curators, those galleries to open doors for them. And you know, obviously I'm a big proponent of artists doing more for themselves 
and making opportunities for themselves. So in that way, it has been really awesome. And I'm seeing many artists thriving exactly because of this, because they're able to do it on their own. And especially if they're the ones that have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, which again, we already talked about, um, they're even, they're seeing even more success because with that little bit of knowledge and they're really able to turn their art into a business and make their own living and really thrive. However, it's a double-edged sword. And the other part of this is that there's a new pressure for artists, not just to be artists, but also content creators. So that, you know, it can end up diluting their creativity and their process. And of course, when you're feeling forced, that's never really the conduit for true inspiration and invention. So it's something that I know a lot of artists are navigating. They're feeling a bit burnt out and they're feeling like they're just not having those as meaningful of connections or experiences online as maybe they used to. So there's a give and take, there's a little bit of both, but ultimately I think, well, I guess before I go into the final (laughs) um, takeaways, uh, what I'm seeing is that because of this uh, pull back and forth, artists are kind of looking beyond Instagram now, beyond social media to other digital options that are out there. I mean, we saw people getting into NFTs that market's kind of going a bit crazy right now. So I don't know if that's at least how it is right now is, is fully the answer. However, they're also getting back into showcasing their work offline now that hopefully, fingers crossed, we are indeed in the downturn of the pandemic and things are opening up more fully then people can go back to putting on their own shows even again, not having to rely on a gallery, although those are still options, of course. Um, so final takeaways, Again, there's the good and the bad. I think it really just depends on the specific artist, what they're most interested in doing. And the cool thing too, is that because of all of this online accessibility, you can make your own path. It does not have to be, um, in order to be a a successful artist that you have to step one, show at the gallery, step two, get your work acquired by a museum, step three, do the residency, step four, you know, you don't have to go A to Z. You can really make your own path and find success in so many different ways. Thank you. That's, um, I think very powerful and very important for people to hear because, uh, I, you know, it's like, I'm a podcaster. You know, that's, that's really the way I put it. And when I talk to people, it's like, have you ever thought about doing it this way or that way? Which, you know, places have walls and I get it. You know, you don't want to see your stuff in a coffee shop, but also you have a lot of your stuff in storage and no one's seeing your work. So some people are putting that stuff in there and they see them doing solo shows. So which one is it, you know, and just as a way of thinking. And I, and I think the, the key thing I'm getting that is kind of what, what I felt like you were touching on that there's no set way. There are many different ways that folks can go about that process. And it may not be with the gallery in a traditional sense. It may not be this tried and true sort of path, which, um, with that, it, it it brings me to my rapid fire questions. Uh, which don't which don't have a tried into true path. Uh, okay. So I'm going to preface this by saying, don't overthink, don't overthink, don't overthink. And brevity is key here. Uh, I got six of them. <laughs> all right, let's go. Hmm. <laughs> all right. I'm going to throw out a simple one, an easy one. Like a, like a you know you do a test and it's like here's your sample question. Yeah, yeah. Since you're a writer and words matter. What is the most powerful word? Art. Cheers. Uh, <laughs> what is the first thing you do when you wake up? 
see my dog. <laughs> I usually say regret. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he's my alarm so <laughs> this is true my, my cat is kind of a dick he, he might be mine he's like oh, <laughs> feed me you fool i'm just like Ugh. yep uh, yep <laughs> no this this definitely is me kind of echoing austin cleon here and i like how he applies this this answer in those instances where you get a good review or bad review or what we kind of deem as those what do you do with good reviews what do you do with bad reviews Good reviews celebrate. I mean, I get so excited. You know, I get, I guess the best examples are are the book. People share a book on stories. And I mean, it makes my day. It honestly makes my day to see those. Um, bad ones, I, I used to get so disappointed when our... Um, so the book that's out now is actually the expanded... Oh, you can kind of see it in the background on that start okay. book. Um, <laughs> oh, and then the, the that's the early version. Anyway, um, so the early version was like 90 pages we did not think it would be much of anything, um, but it ended up doing really, really well when we uh, launched it. And except that when it came out, we got one review from a woman who made a 10 minute long video about how much she hated it. Again, it was a 90 page book that <laughs> you didn't think that it was going to be such a thing. Oof. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it was. So I cried <laughs> when I saw that video. I watched the whole video, which I shouldn't have done. But I watched that whole video and I cried. And then I called my mom and she laughed. <laughs> she was like, why would this woman make such an effort yep. to make a 10 minute long video about your 90 page book? Like, who has the time? Who cares? Yeah. And, and then, you know, that helped put it into perspective. And since then, I've done a lot better with my negative reviews. And, you know, I read them and decide is there real criticism in here that is valuable? If so, then I can use that. If not, no more. Don't, you know, yeah. don't think about it, which was really helpful because she, so she made this 10 minute video, but it wasn't about the content. It was mm -hmm. about the colors, the design, the size of the book, all this silly things. Uh, however, there were a few reviews on Amazon that said, oh, we wish you talked about X, Y, Z. And so that's why we took that version down, expanded it three times as much into yeah. the next one. And now we have many, many wonderful, lovely reviews. So I like that. Sorry, um, much longer of an answer. But no, 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 no. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's huge, though, because I find more and more reviews are... You know, it's like, you know, I don't think I agree with this person's decisions. It's like, you know, if you're reading something that's fiction, it's like, can we review the reviewers? Can we critique the crit critics? <laughs> right, and, right. You know, like for for podcasts, you know, you know, this being a being a podcaster as well, where you get those like, you know, Apple reviews and it's like, I'll read the reviews. But if someone just gives me like I got like two or three people that just gave me one star with no review, I was like, eh someone's a hater. That's literally the way I put it. But if it's something that actually has words in it and it's like, oh, well, I wish you would do more of this to your point, then it's like something that can build upon. And, you know, for me, in, in trying to understand the whole building a brand, building a community, you you have to take that, into, that stuff into account. And I'm very transparent of, hey, let me put out a poll. Hey, what do you guys think from a persona research sort of standpoint? That's what I would use that information for. But if it's someone just trolling, kick rocks. I got nothing for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, name a creative. This is a great segue. Name a creative that is overhated. Like you're like, come on, they're not that bad. Oh, ooh, this is such a good question. Oh man, <laughs> I have to think about this. So I'm not able to come up with 
on the top of my head. Oh gosh. You can swap it out for a different one as I have a backup just in case. Give me a backup question, but let me see if I can think of something okay. while you're while you're giving me that one. Cause that is such a good question, but Okay. This this is uh this one might be also another stumper, but um what is a word that comes to mind for you when you hear the phrase outsider art? I mean, self-taught is not not an exciting one, but that's that's yeah. what I, you know, the art market would you know, constitute outsider art as people that are self-taught. Um, but I, I think it's great that that's been a new market that's opened up and that people are getting excited about it. I mean, anything that allows people who are outside of the traditional education system to continue to be seen and recognized is great, in my opinion. Cheers. And here's the last one. This one is going to be a challenge. No, maybe no. You know, it's not going to be a challenge. It's going to be easy for you. Um, <laughs> okay. I was thinking about this one yesterday when I went back through my questions. Um, so the year that you graduated from high school, so we're, we're in this period, what was a song that was playing during that time? Like, what is your favorite song that came out during the year you graduated from high school? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know if it came out that year, but... I remember our prom song during my senior year was from Snow Patrol. I don't even know if you remember that band. I know Snow Patrol. Yeah, so their song "Chasing Cars" randomly I know that was song. our. <laughs> that was our our prom song. Very strange, but I definitely when that comes on, I'm like, wow, <laughs> high school memories. <laughs> I think ours was like. What's love? Ja Rule, Fat Joe, and Ashante. Yes. Oh my gosh. All of those Ja Rule songs. Okay. On Time is like one of my best, <laughs> one of my favorite, favorites. Let's move this line from it. Let's move the line from What's Love. It's like I come into the, the club with my hat down, Michael Jack's town. I was like, yo, if I come okay. into the prom with a fedora on, I'm, I'm not, not here. We're not doing it anymore. <laughs> Oh, that's such a good one. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a throwback. <laughs> yes. Every now and again, I'll, I'll have one. And someone's like, okay, I wasn't expecting that one. That's a good one. So there you have it. Um, I, I'll give you Thank one you. more chance. One more chance to throw it out there. If you have any overhated person. Oh no, I that's... can't think of any good ones because I guess <laughs> I would, people that I could think of, I would hate on them too for different reasons. That's fair. I love it. <laughs> so that sounds mean. I think I just mean like you know you could say someone like, uh, like Damien Hurst or whatever. But yeah. there there are some things about him that I don't like either. Like Jeff Koons. Like, but yeah, there there are things I don't like about his work either. So anyway, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, so with that, uh, I want to uh, thank you for being on this podcast. This has been this has been a treat. This has been great and. Um, uh, so two things, uh, as we wrap up here, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, where to check out PXP, where to check out create magazine and where they can get the complete smartest guide. So please floor is yours. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to chat with you. And these questions were very, very fun. So thank you. And congrats for being an amazing host. That was really nice. Um, Sometimes I get a lot of the same questions, so it's always a, a joy to kind of keep be kept on my toes and, and think of some different things to say. Um, okay, where you can find me. So um, my gallery is on Instagram at PXP Contemporary. And of course, our website is just www.pxpcontemporary.com as well. 
Um, I am also personally on Instagram at my my last name, P-U-I-G-Y-P-I-C-S. So P-U-I-G-Y-P-I-C-S. That is me if you want to see more of me, my art adventures, and my dog. And you can follow Create Magazine. We're just at Create Magazine and same thing, www.createmagazine.com. And what else? Oh, the Complete Smartest Guide, of course. We have pages for the book on both the PXP and Create website. You can also just search the Complete Smartest Guide on Google and it should pull up our Amazon page. Um, it's also on Barnes and Noble, on Walmart online, and at a variety of independent bookstores too. So we got you covered on that front. You can check out the page on um, PXP. I have, I think, all of the independent bookstores where I've seen it so far listed there. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Alicia Puig for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. Oh,